Dominus Hobiscum, Sequentia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Matteum. At that time, Jesus, having come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, began to ask his disciples, saying, Who do men say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed as to thee, but my Father in heaven. And I say to thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord had gathered the disciples at the beginning of his ministry. He had chosen them, each one individually. And this choice was of the divine will. Even Judas had been chosen. He had been chosen to do that which was necessary. And likewise, Peter was chosen. When Andrew brought his brother Peter to the Lord, saying, we have found the Messiah, the one Moses spoke about, he brought Peter to the Lord. The Lord, looking at Peter, at least at Simon as he was then, said, you are Simon, you are to be called Peter. And so the Lord, with his disciples, spent some two years working miracles to prove the truth of what he taught. And he, the, he encountered some opposition from the authorities who refused to accept him and, more important, to accept what he said, though he pleaded with them, if you do not believe me, at least accept what I say because of the signs. And so the Lord decided the time had come now to choose the leader of the little band of the apostles, or more correctly, to choose the rock on which he would build his church. And so moving away from the center of Judea into um, pagan, at least close to pagan territory, he asked the disciples, who do men say the Son of Man is? Our Lord had identified himself as the Son of Man. And he asks the question. The disciples had been with him for a couple of years. They had heard him, they had heard his teaching, they had seen the signs, the miracles. What was there, the Lord asked, what's the opinion of the crowd who hadn't seen everything that he had done? And the apostles respond, you know, some John the Baptist, this was the opinion, for instance, of Herod. Others see Elijah, because 
they expected, the Jews expected Elijah to return. Jeremiah, who was an exceedingly holy prophet, but whatever the opinion was, the, the ordinary people were certain that our Lord was more than human, or at least he was someone who had come back from dead. Because all of these prophets they had mentioned were dead. So the crowds, even though they suspected something supernatural above nature in our Lord, they still couldn't come to the to the conclusion of who he was. And so the Lord turns to the disciples, basically saying, okay, putting it to the vote, it's not working. You, however, are experts. You have been with me and you've heard and you've seen. You then who have a little more knowledge and a greater experience in the crowds, what is your opinion? And they're all silent except for Simon Peter, who speaks up, speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Our Lord is asking for a truth, a religious truth. And democracy could not give the answer. The common people couldn't vote and decide what was true. An aristocracy, the, those who had been chosen, the experts, they couldn't decide either. It is one man whom, to whom it was revealed what the truth is, Simon Peter. And so we learn this very important lesson that the truth that saves is not a matter of numbers. If, every, if something is wrong and everybody is doing it, it's still wrong. If something is right and nobody doing it, it's still right. So democracy, numbers cannot decide what is right or wrong, what is true or false. And then there are the experts. Experts equally cannot decide what is true and what is false. They cannot decide what is right and what is wrong. They can move in the direction, yes, because of the certain expertise, but there is no conviction of this. Truth is always a matter of revelation because God alone is true and God alone possesses the fullness of truth. When our first parents in the garden had received the commandment, do not eat, the day you eat of this particular fruit, of this particular tree, you will die the death. That was truth himself speaking. The serpent came in and he planted a doubt did God really say you cannot eat of any of the trees? So he's laid the ground, the question, and the woman responds, but not truthfully. She said, 
No, which is true. God didn't say we couldn't eat any. He said we may eat of all except one, which is true as far as it goes. But then what else does she do? She places, or rather, she holds on to the doubt that's been placed in her heart. She said, perhaps we will die. That's the reason God gave. Perhaps we will die. When God did not say perhaps, God said you will die. There was no doubt about it. It was clear. But the serpent had placed that doubt. And of course, sadly, they decided that take a chance. There's a perhaps. It's not certain. And of course, they brought death into the world. Death not only for themselves, but for all of us. In our own time, there are teachings which the Church has given clearly throughout the last 2,000 years, especially in regard to marriage and especially in regard to the Holy Eucharist. In the scriptures, it is abundantly clear that we have to be very careful how we approach the Holy Eucharist. St. Paul, in the first letter to the Corinthians, says we should examine our conscience. He says, some of you have approached and received unworthily and have perished, have died. Equally, in the letter to the Romans, he makes a similar comment. In regard to marriage, the Lord himself has given us the law. When he was asked by the, the Pharisees, is it lawful for men to, to divorce his wife? The Lord said, the Creator, he goes right back to the origin, the Creator made the male and female. And what God has joined, man must not separate. He then goes on to, our Lord goes on to point out that to, to divorce your wife and marry another is adultery. To divorce your husband and marry another is adultery. He made no exceptions. And this has been the constant teaching of the church. And suddenly in our time, a doubt. There's a little doubt. Perhaps not all cases. Do we believe God? Or do we believe the serpent? That is the choice that lies before us. Our Lord gave to Simon Peter the revelation that Christ is the Son of the living God and therefore truth itself. This charism is for the good of the church. And as long as the church gives us clear teachings, we are safe. But when those teachings are placed in doubt, what do we do? The only thing we can do, if we wish to save our souls, is to hold on to that which is certain and clear, that which has been dogmatically defined. Because today, 
these doubts are not dogmatically defined. They cannot be. But they're placed there to undermine the dogma, the doctrine, the constant teaching. Today, as we celebrate the feasts of these two popes, Cletus and Marcellinus, let us ask that their intercession on behalf of the magisterium will be such that we will get the clear and certain teaching that we need in order to do what God wants and so to save our souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.